listening to one of my favorite radio stations, WRFL Lexington. Hello, you're listening to Campus Voices on WRFL Lexington, a program where we take a look at the issues affecting the Lexington and UK campus communities. I'm your host, Noah Oldham, and today we are discussing the impact that COVID-19 has had on education. The pandemic has greatly affected educational systems worldwide and has caused a closure of schools, universities, and colleges. According to the United Nations Children's Fund monitoring, 177 countries are currently implementing nationwide school closures. As of May 10th, over a billion students are currently having to participate in online learning. Not only are students having to study from home, but advanced placement exams and SAT and ACT administrations have been moved online or canceled. These closings do not only affect the students, but also the teachers and those who are wanting to go into education. Today, we are going to hear from a recent UK graduate, Claire Lawrence. Claire just graduated with a degree in special education. Starting this fall, she will be attending Vanderbilt University to complete her master's degree in special education and an additional specialization in applied behavior analysis. We also have Crawford Middle School's arts and humanities teacher, Margaret Stevens. Mrs. Stevens has been a teacher at Crawford Middle School for 10 years and has a rank one degree from Eastern Kentucky University in educational leadership. Thank you both for joining us today. Thank you for having us. So Claire, we'll begin with you. Uh, how has this transition to online learning affected your ability to feel prepared going into graduate school? So I think the push to online learning has really provided me with a different sense of comfort, just with communicating um, in a non-face-to-face way, which even though isn't ideal for a lot of students and classes by any means, it's really helped us grow in the way of how can I, you know, create engaging content for students and how can I check in on students, you know, mental health and see how they're doing all through, um, you know, Zoom. So Mrs. Stevens, um, how has the transition to online learning worked for your class? Well, it's like building the airplane while you fly it. So our school district wasn't approved for NTI lessons. So we literally reinvented the wheel um, in a span of about a week, two weeks. And so you have to plan instruction knowing that your students aren't physically in front of you. So I videotaped all of my lessons. Um, I used some basic editing skills to type in my vocabulary. Um, I just try to do my best and also to deliver my instruction in under 10 minutes because um, they'll be watching a video. And that's typically what I do in class too. I teach for 10 or 15 minutes. I teach a product-based class. So then kids have to create art in the style of whoever we're studying. Um, so I just try to keep it just as I would in the classroom, um, just not to confuse them. And um, for me, I was supposed to teach dance this nine weeks, and we have a huge ballroom program at our school. We do um, dancing with the students, kind of like dancing with the stars, and we partner with Arthur Murray School of Dance and the Lexington Legends. And so it was, um, uh, we're not in Kansas anymore. Let's figure out what to do. Um, and we also had a dance showcase to put on, so I didn't want to put any stress on my students. So. Um, we just kind of focused on famous landmarks and presidential portraits and some other famous artists. Um, 
but overall the transition to online learning has just making sure they're not in front of me and then keeping communication lines open zoom um, you know just everything that was mentioned uh, you said uh, you mentioned NTI lessons what does that stand for non-traditional instruction okay um, and mrs. Stevens you're a parent correct I am a parent. <laughs> so what kind of challenges come along with parenting during the pandemic? Oh, goodness. Let's see. Um, I have a six-year-old and a four-year-old. Um, and they had their birthdays in March, and they were both canceled. Um, and I have one in preschool and one that just started kindergarten. So he's really excited. He has his sight words down. But um, their school went automatically to online lessons through a program called Seesaw literally the Monday after the shutdown. So Friday the 13th, their school had their programs up and running Monday, March the 16th. Um, even when parenting tasks are split between my husband and I, it, it still falls on the mother figure to make sure that the children are kind of organized their activities. So um, they have about 10 activities a day and my children aren't self-sufficient enough to do that on their own so everything has to be set up by an adult um, I've kind of structured my mornings to cater to their academic needs and then we all eat lunch uh, my four-year-old still takes a nap so once I get her down um, I come to the computer and do my zoom and Google classroom and have my availability for my students in the afternoon um, my husband usually finish, finishes up his work schedule at like 530 and then we eat dinner as a family, and then sometimes I sit down till one or two in the morning grading all the Google Classroom assignments. But um, it's just a new normal, and um, we're just figuring that out as we go. Yeah, uh, so it's crazy that you have to stay up so late working on grading assignments. And uh, according to the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics, a teacher's day is much longer than we would assume. Workloads for teachers varies depending on grade level and subject, along with many other factors. Teachers must spend many hours constructing a plan for their students and use uh, visual devices and seating arrangements to ensure the best learning environment for students. Activities must also be incorporated into learning strategies for students to remain engaged. High school math teacher Lydia Shelley says that if you're only teaching lectures, it will be boring for children and group activities must be incorporated for students to visualize concepts and feel successful in their own ways. Uh, do you guys agree with that statement that you need to have like visual elements? Yeah, I definitely agree. I think um, as I've been going through my student teaching, I've just learned about all the different ways that we can engage our students and um, definitely providing them with those visuals, providing opportunities to work with their peers, um, to be getting up and to be moving and doing things, and also then applying those skills and those problems we're working on to the real world um, activities and examples, I think has really helped um, me engage the students I work with, um, with uh, as I come up with new lessons. And as a teacher, you know, we're trained in learning strategies. So I might have a classroom of 38 kids, students, and, you know, someone is struggling. And it's my job and my skills and my expertise to analyze where that student is, provide the strategies and support in place. So visual aids, especially for middle school kids, and I have a lot of students that are um, English language learners, it's essential. You, ha you have to teach visually. Like, there was no hands down, I was going to videotape everything and just do my best to um, produce my, my content um, on their level and, and um, 
yeah, you have to have visuals, hands down. And so I know a lot of different teachers are now having to use Zoom and Google Classroom. Did you guys have to like learn how to use different softwares or, or things that you weren't using before? And how did you figure out how to make those work for your classes? I'm sure the special ed world has way more than mine. So you go ahead. <laughs> so, um, I was student teaching and my teacher had created um, Google Classroom pages for the students she works with and she sees throughout the day. Um, and she added me to those. And I spent a lot of time, I hate to admit it, looking through and just learning how to even use Google Classroom. It's something that you don't really use as much when you're seeing the kids in school every day and you can, you know, go up and talk to them and explain something. But when you're just solely working with them online through um, Google Classroom or Zoom, you have to be really um, prepared, but also aware of, you know, okay, how can I send this document? How can I get it back? How can I monitor progress? And um, yeah, it's been a lot, but I'd love to hear like your side of it because I, I see more of the modification we make to things but I never really see the true um, what it looks like from that side as well well we have had um, the G suite the Google suite now for about five or six years so um, thankfully each year I have two to three hours of Google training um, I've done a lot of training professional development with the um, KET and they have literally saved my curriculum uh, this nine weeks with all of the professional development that I've been able to attend. So um, technically I didn't learn anything new, but I needed to present my content in a way that was new. Um, you know, being face to face with the kids, um, you can change your lesson plan right on the spot. You cannot change your lesson plan if you are videotaping yourself in your dining room and um, you just have to be, you know, extra planning. But um, our district has been spot on with support um, every day. They offer five to six help sessions like and um, um Oh gosh, there's just so many, but um, our district's been super supportive and you can just even go back if you didn't, get to one of those help sessions you can just go back and log on and you know sit down for 20 or 30 minutes if you have it to try and um, teach yourself um, but yes it has been a, a jump in feet first if you don't know technology you're definitely learning a lot of technology right now according to the united nations educational scientific and cultural organization School closures have brought many issues to the surface, including access to education and broader socioeconomic issues. Though these closures are only temporary, it has brought many social and economic costs, especially for severely disadvantaged children and their families. According to the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, school performance critically depends on maintaining close student-teacher relationships. The OECD states that this is especially true for children who are from disadvantaged backgrounds who may have not had the parental support needed to learn on their own. My question for you, Ms. Stevens, is have you seen any gaps in how students from different backgrounds are able to engage with your class from their homes? Um, most certainly. That has been one of the biggest obstacles we've had to overcome during this pandemic um, has been attendance. And our administration put guidelines in place that. Um, well, let me rephrase. So I'm an elective teacher and I teach about 600 kids within my 800 person school. So each and I teach sixth, seventh and eighth grade. So they all have team leaders and content heads. So a lot of that 
went through um, their teams, um, but we were responsible for calling them, emailing them, trying to get a hold of them to um, check their participation for attendance. So, um, and that was really hard, like the first two or three weeks, like just getting the learning materials out because the kids are one-to-one -one Chromebook at our school, but the teachers kept the Chromebooks in our classroom and then we had to distribute them. <laughs> so um, there were just lots of obstacles to overcome, but attendance has been, has been one and the majority of my students that have still not participated, and this is week seven, um, are my English language learner students, but we have um, supports already put in place with them through their ELL teachers, their English language learners teachers, um, and um, also a lot of my special population has just slowly gone out to working with their case manager. Um, so it's not as a, you know, social emotional too, even despite their um, background, social and economical background. Uh, Claire, do you know of any resources that may be available to families with children with special needs who are having to teach their children at home? I would definitely reach out to their um, child's teacher and just really ask for any advice they have. Um, specifically, there's a website that offers free professional development and they're called the Iris modules and it's put on by Vanderbilt. They offer tons of professional development opportunities and videos talking about different um, learning strategies and things that you can do to really help your child succeed. Um, those would be great to check out if they have time. And then also just really being able to communicate with their child and know that, you know, is there something that we need to be doing differently now that we are at home and school looks a little bit different? Because just as all of our students are struggling with this transition, um, it's really important that we're also accommodating them through this time and, you know, not really adding to the chaos by being too strict or, um, I don't want to say setting the bar too high, but, you know, being very aware that this is tough for our kids and they're going from a routine where, they'd wake up and they'd go to school and they'd have breakfast and they'd learn and they, they had it all figured out to really not having that. So um, just showing a lot of patience, but then also being able to reach out for help when, when needed. According to Teach From America, many principals are beginning to worry about their students having the proper support and services at home that are provided at school. This begins with meals always on the table. Many principals across the nation have partnered with local nonprofit organizations that already serve and feed local families to ensure their students are getting meals. Teach for America also stresses the impact that not having proper meals can cause to students, first off being unprepared to learn. It is commonly known that food is brain food and young students are no exception to the saying. Many schools across the nation are concerned that if students are not being fed properly at home, they will not have enough energy to continue with their schoolwork. Mrs. Stevens, how is your school system providing resources to students who might be like food insecure at this time? Um, well, we've been following the, all of the bills coming out of um, Washington, D.C., like the Elementary and Secondary Education Act and the Families First Coronavirus Response Act that's providing us with state funds to specifically focus on mental health and nutrition for schools. Um, particularly at our school, 
and I'm pretty sure every Fayette County Public School, we all have um, family resource coordinators, and we already identify students before, usually before the school year starts, and then during the school year, like the first nine weeks, so students that might need more supports at home, and we kind of already had a backpack food program that went home. Um, as soon as the shutdown happened, I had to run back into school to get some resources to teach from home. And I, it made my heart so happy. I walked in through the back door and it looked like a food pantry. So we had tables um, set up and there were lots of non-perishable goods. And um, we're just really lucky to have community sponsors to help out in the event that, you know, our families need something. And um, I think that there's such a strong relationship between our family resource coordinator and our families. Um, Crawford's just a really big family feel as it is. So um, I think and I hope I know that they are supported. Um, if they need food, they can always just contact the school. Those school systems and teachers have been struggling to make school seem normal for students during this time. Many students are having difficulty paying attention during online classes. WRFL reporter Kennedy Saberwall spoke to a high school student to get his perspective of how the pandemic has changed his education. According to the United Nations Educational, Scientific, and Cultural Organization, school closures negatively affect student learning outcomes. When schooled at home, parents are asked to facilitate the learning of their child and most struggle to perform this task. In a study conducted by Bao, Q, Zhang, and Hogan, it was found that kindergarten students in the United States will experience a loss of 67% of their literacy ability during the COVID-19 school closures. While the learning outcomes of kindergartners versus high schoolers will be extremely different, Sayre School Jr. Parker Stewart spoke about how his learning has been affected during the pandemic and the transition to online high school classes. On online classes and the video chats, it's really hard to kind of stay attentive. And like, whenever I'm able to check my phone all day, then like, I get really used to not having to pay attention. Whereas at school, it's like you kind of have to, because it's obvious. Though Stewart is at the top of his class and is hoping to attend Stanford in the future, he said, even he has become unmotivated to complete his work. It's much harder to kind of get yourself to be motivated because you're not forced to. High schoolers would usually love having school canceled, but Stewart said this has really changed his perspective. I mean, I think I'll definitely be more appreciative of like being able to actually go to school and learn. Though not having to do work seems like a perfect bargain for most students, Stewart said he and his friends are ready to get back to normal life. For WRFL News, I'm Kennedy Sauberwall. So Mrs. Stevens, like Parker Stewart said, he has found it hard to become motivated. Have your students too found it hard to be motivated? Well, I teach middle school, so if there is a way out, they know where it is. And when you see on the news every day, the school is officially closed, it is like, woohoo! But um, thankfully, they've had some parents at home who have been like, here's your Chromebook, log on to your Google Classroom. Um, again, like, like the importance, we've tried to stress at our school that we don't want to overbear in them. We want them to continue learning. We know this is new to them. A lot of them don't have supports at home. 
Um, so we've tried to make it easy as possible. If the, if the Google Classroom and all of that is too overwhelming, um, we have packet pickup. Uh, the parent and our adult can go to school and get um, all of the teachers have made like non, well, I guess traditional lessons, kind of like worksheets or a packet. Um, but I do have to say, I have some kids that are thriving that I've known since sixth grade, they're eighth graders now, and they're night owls, like they turn in work at like one, two, even three in the morning, which is not healthy because the middle schoolers should be sleeping 10 to 13 hours for their brain development. But um, I don't know, my class all in all, um, I would say I have about an 80% and just 20% that hasn't participated, but there could be some other factor. Um, but most of all, 80% have done an excellent job. Claire, you're a student right now. Uh, tell me a bit about how being a student during all this has been for you. It's kind of been a little bit overwhelming. I think when you're in your um, student teaching semester at UK, um, and I'm sure most other schools, you're really just only doing student teaching. So we kind of went from waking up every morning early, getting to school, being there for our teacher and, our, for, and for our students. And then once that changed, we kind of took a step back and now we went into supporting our cooperating teacher and students, but then also you know, going into our Zoom classes with our professors. So it was pretty hard to adjust to that. Um, I feel like we'd always be up really early and kind of just sitting around like, what should we do? You know, we don't have class till nine. And um, it was really nice to be able to stay connected with other student teachers and not only talk to them and check in with them, but see, you know, do they have any ideas? What's working for them? What's working for their students? Um, I can't even tell you how many times we would be um, on like a Zoom class call for UK and we'd be just sharing resources like this is a great website for um, screen sharing and you can find all these adapted books online and your student can read them to you and um, it was really cool to be able to work together with not only our professors but other student teachers at UK. Uh, this question can be answered by either of you here um, or both of you. Uh, do you think there are some lasting changes in the way that schools will operate or classrooms will operate after all this? Um, well, this is my 15th year. I'm at my halfway point in my career. I was a high school teacher um, before I became a middle school teacher and I taught an AB schedule. And as a secondary teacher, you know, I had 150, 160 students. Um, I taught IB classes. It was a lot to keep up with. Um, and I, I often felt that students just got through the crack because my class was 41 people and it, it just got overwhelming. Um, when I had the opportunity to switch to middle school, I could not believe it. Like I had 15 kids. It was like my largest class and I was like, this is crazy. Um, and you got to meet them personally and differentiate the lessons and it wasn't overwhelming. Um, since redistricting, though, my school has grown three times its, its population. So now, now I'm back to almost a traditional secondary classroom um, where my smallest class is like 35. So educators have been preaching, like, we need smaller classes. Like, we can't, we can't do that. And um, if you look at the Fayette County Board of Education minutes last night, you know, one of the things recommended is the ratio of 15 to 1. And um, it's going to cost a lot of money. And that means a lot more teachers. And I don't know where we're all going to go because our classrooms are already full. But um, 
I think it's going to add some positive benefits. Um, I know special ed classrooms are kind of small and resource, so that might not be the same as a regular classroom. But for me, you know, a class of 38 is with one person in middle school can sometimes be unmanageable, but fun at the same time. But um, hopefully this brings about supports that the education system needs to be restructured. I think what's interesting too is although this has been a really difficult time for a lot of students and teachers and parents and everybody as we transition into um, online learning, I really have seen a sense of community grow within the schools and within the classrooms and students. Um, every, I think it was like Wednesday and Friday, I would get to log on and have a Google Hangout or a Google Meet or a Zoom call with um, some fifth graders at the school I was student teaching at and we all had a lunch bunch and we just got to talk and catch up and I think we've really been able to see how important those connections are. So now hopefully going back wherever um, our return to school journey takes us and what that looks like, hopefully that we hopefully we continue to just really emphasize um, mental health and you know being there for each other and building a, a safe and, and welcoming community no matter where we are at that point in time. While students are finding it hard to remain focused in classes and administrators are trying to solve issues even outside the classroom to fit students' needs, principals are having to be the glue of the operation and ensure students that everything will be okay. Principal of Crawford Middle School, Mike Jones, said he has had many of his students worrying about their grades, but he wants them to know that the pandemic will not define their success or their future. I received an email. And I'm going to actually pull it up because I want to. I don't want to misquote the kid. Um, he sent me an email and he said, "I'm really worried about my grades, and it's really driving me be, me crazy because I've been trying my best, and I feel like I'm not going to go to high school." My response was, "You're going to be fine. Just keep working. You are going to go to high school. I got you." Yeah, the second week of NTI, I had a student and um, I was like, he killed it. The first week turned in all of his assignments and then just like disappeared. And, um, you know, we got information that he, there was like an incident on the news where a kid was shot in Woodhill that didn't even live there. Um, and he was like five, six feet away with some other kids from our school. And it's like, our kids deal with a lot of trauma every day. It's a lot of trauma. I think we have more mental health experts in our school just to help them sort through everything. Um, and again, like Mr. Jones said, this is not going to define them. We're their, we're their teachers. We are their support system, regardless if they like us or not. Um, but, you know, we, we got them. We'll help them. We'll make them sure that they get there. Um, so what are some ways that you, you think you or other teachers can support students at this time? One way that I found um, to be really successful was um, just taking time out of the lesson or maybe, so in my case, I was working one-to-one -one with a student over Zoom and we were reading together and doing some schoolwork. And right towards the end of our time together, I said, you know, do you want to read another story or would you like to just talk and catch up? So really prioritizing, you know, it's not all about school. School's a lot right now and it's confusing and it's hard and it's frustrating, but how are you doing? And we didn't have a super deep conversation, but we talked about how his night was last night, what he's doing today, you know, what did he have for breakfast? How's his little brother? And just those little things so that he knew, even though I'm not seeing you every day, I'm still here for you. And I'm still gonna be someone that's gonna give you support and guidance. Um, and you can always reach out to me, even if it's not 
being able to walk into the room I'm in. Yeah, sometimes our Zooms are just them wanting to tell us about their day. They're so eager to be like, you know, this happens like almost like when my kindergartner gets on Zoom and they have share day. So sometimes you have to really structure your Zoom meetings to get your content in if you're teaching content during Zoom, but they so want the social interaction and of course they're middle school. Um, we were required, not really required, but um, Google phone numbers. Um, we had been told to like set one up. Um, our district doesn't support it through our email, so we all had to use kind of like a personal account to set up a Google number. If that kid has a number anytime, they can leave a voicemail, they can text, they can, you know, whatever they want anytime to get a hold of us. So I think that they have a comfort knowing they can contact us 24-7. We might not respond immediately, but it's there when we wake up. There are 13 Google texts. <laughs> you know, what did you have for dinner? <laughs> Always just lots of communication. Yeah, and I adding on to that, it's always fun when you're talking and someone, you know, got a new puppy or someone's baby sister just woke up from a nap and all of a sudden it becomes kind of like what you said, a show and tell. And those um interactions are just so important, not only that our students get with us, but also with their peers. Um, and just really prioritizing that um, in addition to the content that we're teaching. Um, my last question for both of you is what advice would you want to give students uh, at this moment? I would say you can do it. You're doing great. It's tough, but um, this will make you, I don't want to say so much stronger because you're, you already are very strong, but this will really turn you into um, an incredible student and you'll still do great things. You'll still accomplish great things. Um, everybody's proud of you and keep doing it. It's almost summer. It's coming up. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's hard to put in perspective, um, a global pandemic in the eyes of a 10-year-old, but um, my advice to them would be that um, life is a journey. It's a marathon. This is just one of the steps or one of the miles that you just have to run, and, um, and you'll, get, you'll get through it. We'll all get through it, and, you know, we hope that... <sighs> that you take a deep breath and that you know you'll make it to the next grade level with success. Awesome. Well, despite all the issues that are affecting education right now, I'm really glad that there are dedicated educators like both of you and administrators like Mr. Jones who are there to support students right now. Um, so thank you both for joining us this evening. We would like to thank our guests, Claire Lawrence and Mrs. Stevens, for joining us today. Thank you for tuning in. Join us next week uh, for another episode of Campus Voices. I'm Noel Oldham, and you're listening to WRFL. <laughs>